Let me maybe start off with you. And uh, I think, you know, the uh, Department of Women, Youth and uh, People with Disabilities certainly having uh, quite a wide scope. But uh, with all that said, uh, you know, there has been some uh, considerable amount of advocacy and uh, work that the department has done alongside some of its other system ministries. And uh, I was making mention earlier on of the backlogs in, you know, uh, forensics uh, with the police services and uh, even some of the challenges that we've seen with uh, uh, employment equity and uh, the uh, sidelining and marginalization of women in workplaces and even in the home. Uh, when you take stock of the work that uh, the department has done, wh where would you say your successes have been and where would you say some of your weaknesses have been? Um, thanks, thank you and thanks for inviting me and, and thanks for your question. And, and thanks also for affording us the platform to actually try and communicate and talk about this very important issue, which as a department, and I think with our partners across the board, uh, regard as a major crisis in our country. I think there's no doubt uh, that we are currently uh, living, you know, with coexistence of two pandemics, which is COVID-19 mm. and gender-based violence. But it's important to mention that uh, GBV did not just arise uh, or arrive when COVID-19 hit our shores. Uh, for a consistent number of years, um, if not decades, we've heard this problem. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, despite all the efforts that uh, government has put in place, whether you're talking legislation, whether it's policy, whether it's programming or even advocacy. I mean, um, South Africans now are very familiar uh, with 16 days of activism. And this has mm. become literally a culture in our country. Uh, you know, come November, Everybody else tried to do their bit uh, too. But despite all these investment efforts, um, it seems sometimes it, it feels like we are losing the war uh, or the battle. And we continue to push. Um, and yeah, the struggle is on. We've seen progress in some parts, but uh, there's still a lot, lot of work. Uh, to be mm. done. Um, yeah, it, it, there is okay. progress, and I can just mention the latest, which we never had, and that's for me, uh, working in this area and having worked in the area for many years, having now a strategic plan, which is a national plan, mm. uh, I think it, it's a game changer. Uh, and I hope that with this plan, uh, we will be able to fix some of the problems that we've had in the system. Mm. And, and yes. we'll come back to some of the features of that particular plan, because I think, you know, I'm, mm. I'm, I mean, I'm quite interested in some of what you see as the sort of more preventative and oh. then uh, mm. I guess the, the reactive side after some, some of these incidences have happened. Advocate Brenda, I want to bring you in here. Um, I mean, I just, just probably an hour before we went on the show, uh, I saw a very gutting message from, uh, or I should say a tweet, from uh, at Shati on Twitter, and I'm certainly going to share it for the listeners to see. 
And what she's done here is to, in response, I guess, to the many uh, uh, attacks, uh, rapes, and, and uh, uh, many other ghastly acts that we've seen happening uh, in Ubers, taxifiers, and everything else, she has created um, a series of tweets here, uh, um, what, what she's calling hacks, or I guess uh, tips for, for young ladies or, or, lady, or anybody using Uber or Bolt. Uh, to um, to use and one of them says you know you can change your uber bolt name to a man's name so the driver can think your dad requested for you it's a smart hack and she says when you get into the car after closing the door open it and close it again to check the child lock have a message that's already typed that says i'm in danger and the person monitoring your trip so that you can quickly press send in case the driver did that on purpose call someone and tell them that you have shared the ride with them while you're in the car loud enough for the driver to hear it's quite gutting that I guess you know a young lady like this would have to already uh, uh, think so many steps ahead to try and prevent this, uh, and it speaks volumes about how common this is. Talk to me about some of the work that uh, you are also doing uh, uh, as uh, uh, your platform, Wise for Africa, and uh, through some of your campaigns to also I guess create similar types of heuristics to be able to assist us to grapple with this context, uh, and certainly not the kind of thing you would want to be doing. But I guess we have to. Yeah, you know, thanks. Um, I mean, you know, the same thing for me with this country is that we as women must find solutions to protect ourselves, right? And we have not invested mm. time, effort, resources to change the behavior of those who commit such acts of violence against women and young girls. So, mm. on you know, on a daily basis, the emphasis is on what we can do to make sure that we, we are safe in the streets, in our homes, in Ubers, in the workplace. And time has not been spent to, find, to, to, to put resources into why men behave in the manner that they do and they stop uh, doing or committing acts of violence against women and girls. So that's a tragedy and a travesty with this country, right? That we, that we have spent time just for women to navigate the space to continue to find a safe space for themselves, right? So I'll put the, I'll pack that and put it aside and talk about what uh, we are doing because unless we change the mindset and this culture of entitlement and uh, um, power and control and dominion over bodies, you're going to control. You're going to continue to have um, the response that you you get from women trying to protect themselves and them them being in the forefront of trying to say, "This is what is happening to us. This is how we experience." Um, life in South Africa. So we, we we have to every day be planning, plotting, strategizing on how you're going to make sure that you reach your, your destination safely. Okay? So the work that we do that we have we, 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 we have been uh, working on is to try and work on prevention uh, interventions. And the prevention interventions, as laid out in the in the strategic plan, as as civil society organisations, we 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 are expanding our time in doing some of that work around prevention, right? 
but at mm. the same time focusing on how we ensure that there is accountability, leadership, and coordination of this work that we're doing. For the longest of time, we have not held those given the responsibility to, to serve. We have not made them to account. So when Esther talks about the many years that we have had uh, uh, talking about gender-based violence in this country and coming mm. up with laws and policies uh, and nothing happening, it's precisely because we, 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 lit- we literally decided not to hold firstly the police accountable, hold the, criminal, the entire criminal justice system accountable. So we left it and when it got worse, and I, that's when in 2018, when women in this country decided not any longer, not anymore, mm. that we are why, going Why do you to think it was left there. for that long? Why do you think because, it was left for that because long? Because we, we couldn't believe in that uh, the, the interventions that were put in place by having policies, by having laws, we thought that uh, people understood uh, what these laws meant and they understood the application and how to apply these laws and that they... they as, as, as civil servants and as, as, as those responsible in serving the public that they were doing what they were supposed to do. Alas, we all found out that that's not the case, right? But, and we, mm-hmm. we, we were not holding them accountable, and we need to be honest, we didn't. Uh, you know, it was few um, voices that were coming in and out, in and out, but there was no consistent effort of bringing gender-based violence in mm. the center like we have done now. We, we have removed it from the sure. periphery. It's now central. Almost on a daily basis, we, we are having a conversation, but also we are, we are acting. And that's what this mm. requires, that you are going to have to be consistent. Because if we have a stop and start, we are going to be back here again in three years' time or five years' time having the same discussions. We can't stop and start. We have started with the NSP. We have to continue putting that foot on the ped- pedal, uh, the acceleration pedal, and, and, and push on. And I guess, you know, just on that question of, of mainstreaming, I mean, one of, one of the critical parts of uh, how you show that commitment um, and how we hold people to account is by putting our money where our mouths are. Now, yeah. uh, the National Shelter Movement uh, recently wrote to uh, President Sir Ramaphosa complaining about the challenge of the underfunding of shelters, where many of those who decide uh, after, you know, uh, experiences of gender-based violence in their homes, uh, to leave those homes and to uh, try and find shelter elsewhere. It seems the same institutions suffer from late pay- payments, poor service delivery, and, and all manner of challenges. And uh, Dr. Zubeda, I guess that sometimes might put paid to uh, uh, the sense that we have placed the discussion, yes, at the center, but uh, we might also have to, I guess, uh, complement that with some allocation and dedication of resources. Yes, I think that... Um as far as shelters go, while I agree with some of the things that uh, Advocate Brenda has said, um, we have to admit that there's very poor service delivery in shelters, and this impacts the quality and quantity of services offered to women. So right now, this year, shelters in the Eastern Cape have not been given their funding. Um, during the time of covid I'm, I'm really astounded by this. This is something that should have been done. There's no reason why shelters should not have been funded. Mm. 
who who does it? Who, sorry, doctor. Yes, doctor. Sorry, just briefly. Okay. I mean, if, if you can maybe ex explain for some of us who might not be familiar with how sort of the distribution of resources would work, who would fund the shelters? Uh, you know, and uh, how, how would that allocation happen ordinarily? Okay, so NGO shelters, which is the ones that are usually affiliated to the national shelter movement, get 40% yes. of their funding from government. The rest of the money has to be, um, shelters have to raise it themselves. So a number of problems there is that as far as shelters go, they don't get their funding timely, right? So the Eastern Cape is a case in point. This year, they should have received their funding at the beginning of April 2020. It is now the 1st of September 2020. Those women are struggling. They then go and get loans, or they take money from their pockets to feed the victims of violence in their shelters. This is completely outrageous and unacceptable. They only, and, and even if they use their funding, they only their stipends are reimbursed. So none of the loans that they take or the money that they put forth can actually be um, given back to them. Now, this is not on. Now, given the, 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 the issue around COVID this year, people have been struggling. So how much more would shelters struggle if they haven't received the money that they should have received? And so the Eastern Cape is a case in point, and there are some other provinces as well. Then the mm -hmm. issue of, I mean, not receiving their funds timely. So for me, greater inroads need to be made, made in fixing the DSD funding processes. And mm -hmm. I'm afraid mm -hmm. that we fail hopelessly. And I'm not going to mince my words about that. Master, how are you holding some of your colleagues to account? I mean, uh, you know what Dr. Zubeda is saying, uh, unequivocally saying there is a mess at uh, one of your sister departments, the DSD, in terms of the funding of many of these institutions. And I guess similar things could be leveled against the police, could be leveled against the Department of Labor, could be leveled against many other institutions within the realm of the executive that should uh, um, in line with your mandates, in line with your founding statutes, do some of the things that uh, Dr. Zubeda is speaking to? Um, you know, earlier on, you, you asked me about where some of these uh, challenges uh, could be. And in response to the issue around the shelter, I must mention that part of the problem with addressing issues of uh, gender equality and women's empowerment broadly, but specifically gender-based violence, is the fact that uh, these programs have not been institutionalized in government. Uh, for many years, yes, we've been doing the work. Um, and people have not really seen the impact and outcomes that we are expecting because uh, our efforts uh, have been largely fragmented uh, and indeed uh, without sufficient allocation of resources. And the reason is because of what I just said earlier on. These programs have not been institutionalized. What do I mean? Uh, government has got plenty 
systems and mechanisms. And these programs have been run almost like parallel with broader government uh, 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 plans and, 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 and programs. In other words, you'd have a, a program on 16 days of activism, for instance. But some of these interventions are not integrated in the overall plan of the department. For instance, I'll give an example, a strategy of a department uh, which is done and reviewed on an annual basis, an annual performance plan, uh, which is a plan that assists departments uh, to actually implement uh, the target they've set for themselves for that particular financial year. So you will find that most of the gender programs are not integrated into those plans. And when that happens, it means it becomes then difficult to allocate resources mm. because they are treated like a by-the-way. And one of the things, and Zubeda and Brenda will know, that we've, we are trying now to actually do and correct in terms of the system, it's how we've been planning. And our plans need to talk, have a gender response. And that is why the Department of Women, recently we've finalized what we call the gender responsive planning, budgeting, monitoring, and evaluation. So that framework needs to be assisting us to mainstream from a planning phase of each department plan and make sure that these targets that are in the national strategic plan are actually mm. integrated into those uh, those plans. Okay. That is the may, only may I, way. Sorry, may, sorry, may, able I, I, Mama. To allocate resources. Yes. May I ask to that? Allocate resources. Yes. Sorry, Mama, I, we need to pause for a second. Ne? I, I, I want us to mm. take a quick spot break. But when we come back, mm. I'll allow you to continue mm. on that vein. And uh, I, I must also add, I, I'm, I'm not saying that you must be the police people within cabinet, for instance, mm. or within the executive mm. for, for gender issues and gender mm. mainstreaming. But I do think that there is a role in line with your mandate that is expected. And maybe uh, we'll continue on that vein and uh, also get uh, some of our listeners to uh, weigh in as well. You can give us a ring on Zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. Also checking out some of your tweets on at Metro FMSA. Use the hashtag Metro FM Talk. You can also uh, push through your messages on Facebook as well, and we'll take a look at some of those on the other side of this. Ten minutes it is after 8 p.m. And uh, if you just joined us, we are in conversation this evening uh, on the last day of Nyangayamanina uh, and uh, on turning the tide on gender-based violence and uh, all its manifestations, including femicide. And I'm in conversation with uh, Esther Maruleke from the Department of Women, Youth and People with Disabilities. Also joined by advocate Brenda Madumisa, director at Wise for Africa, and also joined by Dr. Zubeda Dango. And uh, uh, advocate Brenda, before I get to you, Mayor Esther, uh, please continue uh, uh, on that vein you are outlining there about, I guess, some of the alignment and, I guess, coordination that will ensure that there is also, I guess, from a resource perspective, some of the uh, coordination that's needed to deal with some of the challenges. Yes, 
Yes, Ayaba. Uh, thank you very much. Let me just quickly conclude uh, what I was saying. So, having said that, the only way you can keep people accountable, uh, especially in government, that's the first, first thing that we need to address, which is systemic, is the planning and budgeting and allocation of resources. Because what that does is that you then, as a point of entry, are able to factor uh, targets or indicators of that plan into officials, especially senior management performance agreements. So Mm. that will enable you to actually assess their performance in terms of what they've committed to do in the uh, annual performance plan of the of the of the uh, uh, that uh, department. So this is one way of doing it, and it's a systemic way, and it is that that we we are actually currently uh, working very hard to ensure that uh, the targets of the NSP are integrated and that's therefore not treated uh, as a separate issue. But the other challenge. Uh, you will know that adds and complicates the issue is a lack of understanding about issues of gender-based violence. And we've been raising awareness. Yes, there has been training uh, of frontline officials like police, uh, like health workers. But we are not, again, seeing the kind of results that we are looking for because in order to hold people accountable, you also need to actually build their capacity to actually understand and know uh, what is it that they need to do when they deal with these cases. So it remains a big challenge because uh, this work is done uh, in institutions that are highly patriarchal, uh, gender-based violence, it's normalized across the board in society, in homes, in these institutions that we work in every day. So when Brenda spoke about prevention earlier on, the idea is that we need to change our approach from responding. Responding is really indeed very critical, and I'm not even underestimating that. It's part of the lot of work that we need to do around shelters, around all the services that we need to provide. But we actually need to put a lot of resources now, invest in trying to stop uh, the scale problem even before it happens. So uh, the issue of funding again, I think it has to do with standardization of services. For instance, mm. with shelters. Currently, we have in what we call uh, the Victim Support Services Bill. And that is really what is trying to to do it cabinet has just approved it and they've gathered it uh, to allow the public uh, to make comments on that bill and this bill seeks to now improve and standardize services across the board uh, services on gender-based violence like shelters like tutuzela care centers etc but it also seeks to standardize funding because funding is also uh, not allocated uh, equally uh, across uh, provinces. That is another challenge. But lastly, uh, 
PSD, the budget that they have uh, is not sufficient. Yes, they're funding non-profit organizations uh, and it's really trying to support the services. But this allocation is not sufficient. Uh, National Treasury needs to increase the allocation because all of mm. us, different government departments, can do what they need to do unless the National Treasury allocates the resources uh, to the, this work that we do, which is very important. Uh, it, we're going to find it very difficult even to implement okay. uh, the national strategy. All right. So these are the things that we are working May on. We're engaging yeah. the national treasure to, to okay. actually do that. All right. And I guess, May Esther, I mean, what, what might complicate that situation is, um, you know, the, the path of uh, uh, consolidation and what implications that was going to have in the medium term uh, mm. uh, expenditure framework mm. for some of the budgets that you received then. We'll come back to some of the budgetary mm. issues. Advocate Brenda, I want to bring you in here because I guess we're talking about, about RANs, sense goods, services being delivered, and I guess those are crucial and uh, critical. Uh, and it's important that we, we have that scaffolding in place. But I guess the, the root cause, as you said earlier on, is a psychosocial environment and uh, dynamics and relations of power that are largely overseen by very patriarchal relations. Um, and I'm quite interested in sort of what kind of societal psychosocial work we ought to be doing and how, how that looks like. Um, because I think in many instances, uh, you know, you get uh, um, people who are raised, as many of us are, in a patriarchal society, socialized in that kind of society, um, and, uh, you know, the big question is how do we do the, that work of unlearning uh, and uh, how do we institutionalize and embed that kind of work in organizations uh, and Imibuta uh, Klalini that are able to do some of this work? Because it might seem like a lot of this is happening in Johannesburg, but uh, maybe if you go to Mkanduli or you go to, uh, uh, you know, Makasaneni or, 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 uh, or Tate or, or Bembe somewhere, you might not see the same. Very true. Um, the the NSP in the in the manner it's framed it takes takes into account the um, complex nature of how South Africa is designed, right? Uh, that you have a strong rural uh, grounding and and urban, and we need to uh, be deliberate in how we address um, the rural and urban divide. In, in the NSP, we also very deliberate in stating categorically what are the structural drivers of gender-based violence. Socialization, patriarchy, uh, substance abuse, um, um, capitalism itself, um, Mm. All of it, we, we, have, we have diagnosed it correctly, right? Where do you start? You start at all the different levels depending on where you are, right? Because if you want to unlearn some of the behaviors that uh, us as women and men have learned over the years because of how we're socialized, is going to take conversations like these that we're having on a, on a daily basis so that people understand what you are talking about and what constitutes gender-based violence and how it manifests itself, right? And, mm. and the language that is appropriate to use, right? Um, so when we keep on saying as women, stop referring to us as our women, 
There's sure. a reason why we say that, right? Because you start to refer to us as possessions and that you own us. I think somebody somebody has lost us there. Uh, so we'll try and just sort that out. But I'm still here with you. Dugmamela Advocate. Languaging and relanguaging. Advocate Brenda? Hello? Yes, yes, yes. I can hear you. Ah, we seem to be battling there uh, with uh, Advocate Brenda and uh, with uh, Mayor Esther and Dr. Zubeda. Let's take a, a quick break now, and uh, when we come back, uh, certainly hope we uh, will have reestablished that line and uh, continuing there with Advocate Brenda and some of the issues that she's raising. Twenty-two minutes it is after eight p.m. If you just joined us, it's our uh, roundtable on turning the tide on gender-based violence, and uh, we had a bit of a technical glitch there. Our apologies for that. And uh, Advocate Brenda, uh, you were still, um, I guess, uh, speaking to uh, some of the questions around uh, prevention and uh, some of the work that needs to happen. And I guess uh, many of our listeners sharing that sentiment, uh, suggesting that uh, we're quite good. Uh, in talking about how to react, but uh, certainly uh, not as creative when it comes to uh, some of the uh, solutions on prevention, which is uh, the bulk of some of the work that you do at Wise for Africa. Yeah. So as I was saying then, that we, we all must find entry in, 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 in changing uh, the, the, the behavior. And uh, so you, you, there are those who work well with children at primary school, they must continue to do that work and look at what the prevention pillar in the NFP uh, is saying around how you address issues of children in, 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 in the prevention uh, uh, pillar. You then move mm. to higher education, and there's a lot of work that has been done by higher health uh, with higher education and, and tertiary education in the universities and the TVETs and, and the colleges uh, uh, in, in changing that culture of, of um, and, uh, the, the, the culture of, 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 of violence in, 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 at, at universities. You move to the regional sector that has for many years uh, swept, swept under the carpet issues of abuse in the church, and, and, and they have a role to play in dealing with that in their churches, but broadly because they operate within, uh, within communities. You then move to... The, the trade union movement itself that de to deal with sexual harassment in, in, in the workplace, but uh, mm. uh, the violence that finds itself in the trade union, trade union movement and the abuse of trade union, uh, trade union members in, in, in the trade union movement and what is it that they need to do as a, as a trade union movement to stop the scourge of gender-based violence, but also because they're part of a society and a community. So almost all of us, one or the other, at an individual level and a collective level, we've got a role to play in changing uh, and doing away with gender-based violence. Critical mm. has been the, um, you know, when you look at Limpopo, Free State, and the Northwest, you've got high numbers of young girls who have fallen pregnant between the ages of 16 and 19, right? And these are now children, these are young women who have become mothers. And no, they have not been given, they don't know what parenting looks like. They're mm -hmm. expected to be at school at the same time, look after 
fend for themselves because no one has held the man who contributed to them falling pregnant. They have not been held accountable to also to look after those children. So you have many young girls who are left on their own without any support whatsoever. And that's where the role of the work that is done by Zubeda and many other NGOs and civil society come in to give support to these young girls. We coming mm. in as, as wives to look at the legal aspect of it and we, sure. we, we, we're going after the men who have literally left their responsibility and those, those young women must then be a burden on the state and apply for child grant because there, there is no contribution. We have not gone back to look at the fathers of these children and make sure that they are, they are held accountable and responsible for, the, for, the, for pregnating these young girls. So all of mm-hmm. us in our respective fields, in our respective communities, in our respective uh, career, wherever we are, we have got a role to play in, in ensuring sure. that we read the society of, or this nation of gender-based violence. Okay. Dr. Zubeda, let me bring you in here because uh, I guess on the first instance, uh, maybe some of your responses to uh, the issues that uh, Esther was raising from, from a resourcing perspective and uh, some of the governance challenges there. Uh, but also, I guess, the, you know, the specifics of the sectors you work in and uh, uh, I guess uh, some of the realities there and uh, um, how many of the underfunding and uh, chronic under-resourcing challenges uh, how those are manifest? I mean, uh, what, what impact are you seeing in uh, really, I guess, uh, some of the shelters uh, uh, having difficulty in taking people in in the first instance when you might not have some of the resources to be able to respond? Absolutely. Um, so shelters try to do their very best. So I want to go back to the standardization issue. It's a very deep issue because in South Africa, every province um, funds differently. So this means that the resources allocated both both within and between provinces vary. And there are no um, criteria for how funding happens to shelters. And this results in the fact that women who receive services actually don't receive similar services. And that's not fair to South African women. Um, We need to have more uniform a, a more uniform funding approach. It's unacceptable that in one province, shelters receive nine rand per woman per day versus 71 rand in another province. This is completely unacceptable. Then I think that um, we need to realize that shelters are absolutely critical in saving the lives of women. So we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to support existing structures that are very much at risk. And I think we've forgotten that. And shelters are not given the due recognition that they deserve. One of the problems that I have at the moment is that when we sat on the IGBB committee, the CARA fund was supposed to have been dispersed in March or April of 2020. To this date, in many provinces, organizations have still not received their funding. In the Western Cape, one out of 14 shelters have received some funding. So Mm. if this is the case, we can't only talk, we have to talk about systems and how the wheels are so slow to turn. Why is it 
that people have to wait this long for work that is really important. So it's easy to talk about the rhetoric. It's easy to talk about how women are killed and there's a war that's waged against women. But we are not walking our talk. So for me, implementation in the country is a huge problem and we are not addressing this. We keep reinventing the wheel, but the problems that exist are not being addressed. Bureaucratic issues are hampering service delivery. We need to be sure we, we don't want to be mourning women after they are killed. And this is critical because we know that in South Africa, three women are killed every day. And I guess, you know, uh, uh, just as you're talking here, Zubeda, um, you know, it raises all of these uh, questions, as I said earlier on, about when and uh, as the rubber hits the road, um, are we as intentional or I guess uh, as passionate about some of these questions as uh, one would find uh, uh, in terms of the experience on the ground? And uh, I've got one of our callers here who's uh, joining me. Uh, you know, she's a mother, she's a survivor and an author. And uh, uh, at the st age of 31, certainly having a very checkered story, Tumelo Moa joins me now on the line. Tumelo, good evening to you and welcome. Hello. Hi, Tumelo, how are you? Well, thanks for being here. I'm very well, thank you. Just briefly, I mean, if you could just, uh, uh, I guess, uh, reflect and uh, maybe share your story with us and uh, uh, in the context of the conversation that we're having around uh, how best we are able to respond uh, to instances of GBV and uh, also prevent them before they even happen. Uh, uh, what, uh, what I guess, uh, lessons, if any, does uh, your experience throw up in that regard? Tumelo? Hello? Ah, we seem to... Hi, Tumelo. Hi, can you hear us? Hi, I can hear you now, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So I was saying, I mean, if you could just briefly share your experience with us um, and uh, uh, I guess uh, your personal experience uh, also captured in a book titled What I Survived Might Kill You. Uh, talk to us about what happened to you. Okay, I was in an abusive relationship that progressed into a marriage. And I love mentioning that because a lot of women think marriage can solve issues that we're in a relationship. Tumelo, sorry, sorry about Hello. that. We seem to, to, sorry, we seem to be battling with your line. So let's try and uh, call you again and uh, reestablish that connection uh, with uh, Tumelo Mua, who's an uh, author, uh, speaking to us about uh, some of her own experiences uh, uh, around this particular issue. But uh, I guess, uh, uh, Dr. Zubeda, from uh, some of the things that uh, Tumelo has started to to share with what we could make of what she was sharing. Uh, she got married at a very young age and I guess uh, also suggesting that that it's social institution, that of marriage is, is often seen as something to aspire to, something that uh, is um, seen societally uh, as something that uh, uh, ideally, uh, you know, people should buy into. And yet uh, it was in that context that uh, she experienced uh, much of the abuse that she ended up writing uh, about. That, that's certainly a very similar and very common experience to uh, 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 some of the work that you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of women who do get married very young. Um, we also do get uh, a lot of women who have experienced or and are forced into marriages. 
um, which is a phenomenon that, you know, still occurs to some extent. And mm. um, so, yes, as far as that goes, a lot of awareness raising and prevention work has to be done with younger people, with families, with mothers as well. Um, because, as Brenda said earlier, one needs to change the mindset, um, you know, from the from patriarchy, and this is this is quite critical. Because I know that some time ago I did some work with municipalities um, down in um, uh, in Limpopo, and one of the interesting things that came about is that the people who worked at the municipality they said to me. Yes, I will listen to the president when I'm at work, and that's where patriarchy becomes an issue, and therefore I respect it. But in my home and in my village, I do what's right for me, indicating the differences in the mindset and the value system. Um, mm. So we do have a lot of work to do. And I want us to uh, bring Tumelo back in uh, at this point, because uh, Tumelo, I certainly hope we have you on a much better line. Uh, uh, you are still uh, recounting some of your experiences for us. Yes. So much, I much better. In, yes, please go I ahead. Is, is it better now? Yes, it's much better, yeah. Okay, I was in an abusive relationship which progressed into a marriage. And you know how we overlook issues that are in the relationship and we think marriage will solve issues and it actually just mm. gets worse so the the abuse began while we were still dating and we got married still and there was the abuse but um the thing is i have realized that abusive men take breaks in abusing you like if you are a resident girlfriend or you are a living girlfriend or a wife they would abuse you now, take a short break, maybe three to six months, and then tell you that they've changed, and you will believe mm. that. And then they will do it again and again and again. So we were together for five years and nine months, and the whole time it was abusive with those breaks in between. Mm, 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 mm. And, and, and you say, I mean, the title of the book is quite interesting. It says, What I Survived Might Kill You. Um, when you reflect on that experience, I mean, just in addition, I guess, to, to the sense that people would, you know, or, or the perpetrator would have changed and then they go back to their old ways. Um, I mean, we've got Dr. Zubeda here who uh, works with shelters. And I guess the difficulty for many uh, is some of the material parts of the relationship. It's also, I guess, the fact that there might be children involved as well. Uh, um, you know, what do you make of that, I guess, when you think about it through sort of the lens of your own experience? That's true. I mean, you stay mainly because you are somewhat psychologically brainwashed because no man can physically hit you before dealing with you psychologically. So he has to mentally abuse you first, make you believe everything that he says. At some point, I believe that my family did not love me. So you can imagine, I believe that the only person who cared for me on this earth was him and nobody else cared about me. So they first have to brainwash, uh, brainwash you, isolate you from your friends, your family, and you are just with him now. And then at some point, the finances come into play. Some women find it hard to leave because they are financially dependent on the men. Some mm. women say they are there because of the kids. But I mean, for me, I have two kids, a boy and a girl. So I had to make a choice. 
why am I staying? Because if I'm staying, I'm saying to my son, it is okay for you to do this to your wife. And also to my daughter, I'm saying, if a man ever does this, uh, this to you, you don't have to leave. It's not risen enough to leave. So I had to mm. change the narrative for my children because I don't want them to grow up thinking that abuse is love because anything that hurts, it's not love, it's hate. Sure, sure. Tumelo, thank you very much for, for sharing your story with us. And, uh, you know, we certainly wish you strength and uh, all the best for you uh, and your children. And thank you very much for sharing your story with us this evening. Thank you so much. That there was uh, Tumelo Mua. She's a mother, GBV survivor and an author. And uh, I have Anonymous on the line who's uh, joining us. Anonymous, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm okay, man. Yeah, Anonymous, you, you said you've got something to share with us. Yes, what I'd like to share with us, um, the lady that just spoke now before, uh, yes. what she's actually saying is the very truth. I'm a perpetrator of verbal abuse, emotional abuse, financially, as well as um, psychological mm. abuse. Please I'll switch off your radio for me, Anonymous, just, just briefly. Please switch off your radio. Okay. I'm just getting a bit of re reverberation there. Please, please just switch it off. Okay, I've been abusing my wife for sure. quite some time. It's been so for, for many years that I've been abusing mm. her. And um, what happened um, two weeks ago, actually last month on the 25th, she stepped out of the house, out of the house with, with, with all four of my kids, uh, mm. age 20, 17, 15, and 13. And I've come to that extent of abuse that... Um, I sometimes emotionally abuse my children as well, swear at them, and it, for, for no reason. And even if I've got something in my hand, I will, like, uh, hit my children or throw them with it. Mm. But what happened, I never used to lift up my hands for my wife. It was just emotionally and financially and um, verbal abuse. And this mm. was the result of, I was abused, my mother was abused when I was a child, and I saw mm. all of those things that happened, that I was like doing to my wife, it happened to my mother. And mm. you know, as a result of that, I ended up, when I just finished high school, I ended up in gangsterism, which is in Westbury, and I did a whole lot of things, and you know, there's a mm. whole lot of abuse that went on. We got married when I was 27. We almost married for, 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 for 20 years now. And for all these 19 and a half years, I've been abusing my wife, which stepped out of the house. I never gave her even a chance to explain herself to me. And every time mm -hmm. she wanted to, to, to solve this problem, I, should push, I, I just pushed her away. and said, I want to hear mm -hmm. nothing. I was that kind of person. I, I'm a very violent sure, person. Sure. And what I believe in is Anonymous? That, yes. Yeah. Sorry about Hello? this, man. We need to take a quick spot break. But Hi, Anonymous. We need okay. to take a quick spot break. Uh, so let's take the break. Okay. When we come back, I'll allow you to continue. And also, I do know Dr. Zubeda Dango. Uh, you might have some questions as well. So uh, let's take um, this brief break. And when we come back, we'll continue. Yeah. Sorry. I 18 minutes it is before 9 p.m. If you just joined us, uh, we are in our Turning the Tide on Gender-Based Violence roundtable here on Metro FM Talk and uh, in conversation with Anonymous, uh, who uh, was uh, briefly recounting his own story. And uh, Anonymous, uh, please briefly continue, and then uh, Dr. Zubeda Dango, I'll bring you in here uh, uh, as you might have a question for him. 
Anonymous? Yes. Like I said, I was a very violent person towards my wife. Never gave her a chance mm. to, to, to solve problems and things like that. And when she stepped out of the house on, on the 21st of last month with my children and things like that, what happened? She's sleeping with two of my children at, 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 at a sister's place and the other two children must sleep at the other sister's place, which is very... That it doesn't sit good with me, but mm. on the on 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 the 12th of, of, of August, I receive a protection order, and in this protection order, she stipulated everything that I've done to her, verbally, emotionally, mm. and all these kind of things. And you know what I said to myself when I read this thing over and over again? I asked myself the question: Am I really doing this to my to my wife and to my children? Am I really the monster that she's putting on this piece of paper? Am I really the kind of person abusing them this kind of way? This protection order for her speaks volumes. And I've come to the realization that I said to myself, enough is enough. I had to step up and become a man and I had to go see for advice. I had to go to FAMSA, which today I started my first session as a counsel, as counseling. Mm. They counseled mm. me. I'm going back again on Thursday. And I told that counselor, I don't want to see my family until mm. I'm healed. I don't want to see nobody. At this present moment, I'm alone in this house. There's, there's that time that I just want to kill myself. Mm. Anonymous, anonymous. Person. Yes. Just, just uh, uh, let's maybe pause here for a second and uh, uh, maybe you can uh, uh, just uh, catch your breath there quickly. And uh, I want to bring in Dr. Zubeda Dango. Yeah? And uh, Doc, you might have a question here. We can even hear from uh, um, uh, Anonymous, yeah, I, uh, you I know, how emotional he's getting. Him yeah? very well. I, I couldn't hear him very well. But I think the most important thing is that he needs he is seeking counseling. I heard with Sansa, and that's really yes. really important. Um, if he he needs to continue with that counseling um, because it sounds like he's very desperate and really urgent, and that he needs help. That mm. maybe he needs to talk to the counselor as well to check whether or not he needs any medication. But it's best to talk. To the person that he is seeing. Mm. Okay. Thank you for that. Know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was just concerned that he said he feels like killing himself. But I thought I heard that. Yes, Sorry. yes, he, he he did indeed say um, that. And uh, yeah. And and you know that for me is a very important thing that we need to try and avert. So it would be important for him to even try and call his counselor before sure. his next session. Okay. All right. Anonymous, uh, uh, maybe yeah. l let me just give you, I guess, uh, a last comment on your end. And uh, thank you very much for being open, very vulnerable uh, uh, with us. And I certainly hope uh, uh, that uh, you continue to seek out help uh, and that uh, you continue to uh, 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 walk that particular journey. Just some of your last words on this one. My last word is to all the men out there, you know, abuse. It's also, it's also becoming like an addict. It's like a drug addict. It's like an alcoholic mm -hmm. addict. If you don't come out of that denial, you will forever do what you are doing. 
And I had to step up. I had to say to myself, enough is enough. So all the men out there, let's, 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 let's just get to that point where we say enough is enough. And me personally, I've got two boys, and the boys have witnessed already how I verbally abuse their mother. So I need to go back, and I need to go teach them the other, mm. to the other side as well. So we as men need to go back to our future, to the, you know, our sons and our daughters are the future of tomorrow. So we mm. need to teach them how to behave in a marriage and how to, yeah. to maintain that marriage, especially our boys. We need to do, mm. do that to them. Anonymous, thank you very much, and I, uh, thank you very much, and I wish you strength uh, as you continue along uh, uh, along this okay, difficult just, journey. Just and, uh, thank you very much. Take care. I have opened yeah? up to the counselor. I've told her everything, so I have opened okay. up. So there's uh, my shoulder is, but some of that weight is off my shoulder. That's sure, why she said sure. she needs to go with me another three to four sessions before she can okay. bring my wife in for counseling and things like that. Okay. Thank you very much, Anonymous. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Let's take a brief break now. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll uh, get uh, some remarks from uh, Mayor Asta and uh, Advocate Brenda Madumisa uh, in uh, this uh, final uh, third of our uh, roundtable on turning the tide on gender-based violence. 11 minutes it is before 9 p.m. You tuned in to uh, Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. And uh, Advocate Brenda... Um, yes, so, so some of your, I guess, uh, reflections on those two stories uh, uh, that uh, we've had that were shared there, one by Dumelo and uh, I guess the other uh, by uh, Anonymous, who outlined the journey that he is undertaking now uh, uh, in response, I guess, to losing his wife and his kids. And, 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 and I, it, 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 it's, it's a blessing that we have these two individuals calling this morning, Dumelo and, and the, other, the Anonymous caller, that gives you... The, the lay of the land, what happens when violence is visited upon your family. You, you, you lose that family unit that you thought you had. And for the anonymous caller, oh, he never thought that he was being abusive. He thought he's doing what a man is supposed to do because that's how he was taught, that's how he was socialized, right? It mm. takes that woman who was feeling this pain on a daily basis to make him aware of what was going on. And, and most of the time, most women don't have that opportunity to do so. Most die at the hands of their intimate partner, right? Same as, as to me. Uh, 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 you know, sometimes we only look at, at, at abuse and violence against women and young girls uh, w w physically. We, we want to see the, the bruises. We want to see... The blue eye, uh, the blue eye, and and all of that. So when it manifests itself physically, that's only when we can relate to it. But if you listen to what Dumi said, is that it started with the verbal abuse, the screaming at 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 you all the time, diminishing you, minimizing you, and then gets physical and then financial, and just as a way of controlling you. Um, and financial abuse is 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 another one that is rearing its head in this country where. Most women are subjected to that financial ab abuse at the hands of, of of their partners and and husbands and spouses and everything else. So it's 
it's one, and I'm I'm happy Anonymous has has shared his his story, and maybe there are other men who are in similar positions and have heard what he had to say, and they can now they know that they can find a safe space. There are institutions out there, the organizations out there that are available that can lend an, uh, an ear and for them to share and express what, it, what has happened and what they have been doing to, to, to their partners. It's, it's going to take all of us breaking the cycle of silence. It can't be women only talking about the abuse. We need to start to hear the stories of those who have been perpetrators of this violence talking about mm. it and, 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 and not being shameful about what they have done, but owning it sure. up and then uh, uh, getting assistance. Okay. May I ask that? I'm here. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, just some of your closing remarks. We left with about, uh, uh, you know, uh, around six minutes or so. Uh, just some of your reflections on the two stories that have been shared here, more especially in the context of what we were talking about earlier, where, where the new strategy now uh, is really about focusing, I guess, on the preventative side of things and really working with the nub of the problem. And I guess the problem, see to my daughter, um, you know, it's us as men who are the nub of the issue and uh, the nub of the problem and maybe the root of it. Yes, uh, thank you. I, I couldn't agree with uh, Brenda more because uh, this is one of the critical uh, strategies that we have adopted now where we need to encourage, especially men, to reach out and seek help. Uh, and also women... Uh, to reach out, uh, you have organizations uh, that uh, Brenda is involved in. You have shelters where Zubeida is working with, with all their faults and weaknesses. It is still important, really, to seek out for help, especially male, because the strategy, which is different from anything that we've always done, speaks and puts at the center, the issue of healing, because we know as a country we come from a very violent history over mm. centuries, starting with a colonization to apartheid system, and this manifests in many ways, including crime uh, and, and a lot of other uh, uh, driving uh, factors. But we need to also begin the process of healing. And this is what the strategy is talking about, that part of going out and seeking help and having this conversation, we need to really revisit our past and look at you know, the impact it has had in terms of our lives and actually normalizing violence. Uh, and, and that is really what the strategy is trying to also mm. achieve, among other things. Sure. That we need healing and we can't have healing uh, alone as women. Men need to come on board and men need to understand that tigers do cry. Tigers do cry because this uh, motto that says tigers don't cry actually dehumanizes men. It says you are not human beings. I don't know what you are because then mm. it says you don't have feelings. You can't feel. So we need to change that narrative. We need to change that attitude uh, and behavior and begin to say to men, you are human. 
come out, talk about these experiences. That's the only way we can heal. But please, instead of abusing your wife, your partner, and being tempted, you know, even to kill her, know when you start feeling that way and having that level of anger that it means there's a serious problem and you need to go out and seek help uh, so that, we, you know, reach out so we can also assist you. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Mayor Esther. Dr. Zabeda, let me give you the last word. Uh, uh, and I guess a uh, 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 really poignant moment uh, to uh, seal it off here uh, with any message you might have for women who are listening into this uh, conversation who are really, in a concerted way, thinking about leaving or taking that first leap um, into... Uh, I, I found it very interesting that, uh, you know, the gentleman who was speaking to Anonymous, they said, uh, uh, really going back towards our future, a different future. Um, uh, what would some of those remarks be? So I think for women who are thinking of leaving, it's important that they seek help with somebody that they trust, um, mm. whether it's uh, an individual, a friend, or an organization. It's really important that they talk to somebody who they trust um, and who can support them. Um, and I think that as society, we need to remember that gender-based violence is not just a woman's problem. It's everyone's problem. Um, we need to be there, and we can't be stand by. We can't stand by and watch women being abused. That's very important. We need to take a stand. So, for example, if your neighbor is being abused, you can't, you know, say it's a private problem and it's their problem. One needs to do something about it, whether it's calling a family member, whether it's calling the police, but we need to act. We cannot stand by and be observers when it comes to the issue of gender-based violence. Dr. Zubaida Dango, uh, Executive Director at uh, NISA Institute for Women's Development, National Shelter Movement of South Africa as well. Thank you very much. And Advocate Brenda Madumisa, Director at Wise for Africa, thank you to you. And thank uh, you. a big thank you also, uh, Chief Director for Governance, Transformation, Justice and Security at the Department of Women, Youth and People with Disabilities. And uh, really giving us a lot to think about um, uh, at that particular conversation about not only just the institutional interface, but also some of the very difficult psychosocial work that we need to be doing. I mean, you heard what Anonymous was saying. He grew up and was socialized in a context where later on he couldn't see that uh, uh, there was something fundamentally wrong about what he had become. His children, his wife of many years seeing him as a monster. And I guess it's not enough to just say, you know, these are environmental factors and... Uh, you know, uh, uh, um, so socialization issues that uh, play into this, because I guess there is an element as well of human agency. And it's not enough to just say, that's how I'm going to be. It can't be like that. It can't be like that. And I think it's the responsibility of all of us. When you know that uh, the person you share a beer with, a cigarette with, uh, or anything else, uh, um, as a friend, does some of these things and you are complicit through your silence. We can and ideally should do better, and I think a lot of people don't like it, but I think it's about time, Nati daughter. we realize that all of these ideas we have in our minds, all of these patriarchal uh, ingrained 
ideas serve further to entrench our own dehumanization. And I think it's uh, towards our humanity that we need to clamor. So a big thank you to my guests this evening and a big thank you to you for joining us this evening. And we're back with you again, same time, same place. Have yourself a great evening. Good evening.